and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. I hope you've been enjoying the current series on Esther. For this episode, we're going to be starting the seventh chapter of Esther. I told you I wouldn't make you wait again. (laughs) With only two more episodes left after this one, we've started to near the end of the study, and I hope you're coming to realize why I hyped up this book of the Bible so much. Another shout out to Beth Moore once again for her Bible study of Esther when it helped me study Esther the first time. To remind everyone where we're at, Haman just received a huge blow to his ego. He had to himself honor his enemy, Mordecai, in the exact way he had wanted to be honored. Instead of evilly celebrating his enemy's public execution, he was now distraught with no advice or kind words from his friends or even his wife. And now in the beginning of chapter seven, our story continues with Haman having been whisked away to another of Esther's banquets. Let's see what happens, shall we? Esther chapter 7 verses 1 through 4 reads, So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet, and as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, Grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. Finally, finally, Esther brings the issue at hand to the king. The way she does so is cunning and well-crafted. Let's break it down really quick before learning King Xerxes' response. First, look at how Esther addresses him. The proper way to address the king would have been to use the proper and more distant third-person form. Instead, she says, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, she is speaking directly to him, speaking to him more as her husband and less so as her king. Her wisdom here is in knowing that Xerxes' willingness to protect his queen and wife to save his own dignity might be his only motivation for sparing a people he had already sentenced to die. She wraps up her life within the lives of her people, a background no one aside from Mordecai knew of until this moment. And Esther assures the king that if it were only slavery, she would not have bothered him, but that annihilation is just too far. And then she cuts off and allows Xerxes to make the next move before revealing any further information. Now. Here's my purpose for pointing this out. It's not to get excited over a woman being clever. The ability of a woman to be clever is not in question. (laughs) Plenty of women are clever, but not all women have had the privilege of being used by God. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 through 5, Paul is saying, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So it's not just about persuasive words. This was a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Remember, Esther prayed and fasted for three whole days and others fasted with her before she even approached King Xerxes in his throne room. God was within her for each moment. His power could be seen and glorified through Esther's words and actions. Her petition was crafted by God's hands. And let's watch how our petition was received. In Esther chapter seven, verses five through six, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. 
then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. An expected response from a clever petition. Xerxes had a temper. What better way to rile up his temper than a threat to his beautiful and doting wife, the same wife who has just been preparing banquets and honoring him and his right-hand man at every step of the way? Who would dare do such a thing? Notice, Esther did not immediately reveal the enemy. Haman was the king's right-hand man, down to using his signet ring. If she had started with accusing Haman, Xerxes likely would have been on the defensive. Instead, she first placed a metaphorical bow and arrow into Xerxes' hand, and then she pointed him at the proper target. And Haman, of course, became terrified before the king and queen. Now, this is interesting. What two names does Esther call Haman by in the last section? Adversary and enemy. Two fun facts for our application. Satan's name means adversary. And 1 Peter 5.8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Unlike Xerxes, we already know the identity of our enemy, and our enemy has many tricks up his sleeve. But our victory begins the moment we stand with our rescuer, Jesus. Our savior is not temperamental. Our king does not require clever petitions. He does not offer us half of a worldly kingdom. He offers us a whole kingdom, one where we walk besides him with no fear to enter into his throne room. He offers us life before you even ever had the breath to ask for it. He also offers us the strength to fight the enemy during our time on earth. We know Jesus's response to our enemy. What is King Xerxes to Esther's? Well, in Esther chapter seven, verse seven, the king got up in a rage, left his wine and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. What emotion did it say Haman experienced in verse six? Terror. Haman is terrified because he knows the king will kill him. His last resort is to beg for his life from the woman he unknowingly sought to take life from. There is much in the Bible that speaks of forgiveness, including Ezekiel 33, 11, which says, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? To experience forgiveness, one must turn, one must repent. Here's the question then in the case of Haman. Does begging for one's life equal repentance? Proverbs 26, 27 says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. If someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. Haman dug himself a large pit and rolled a very heavy stone. There's a balance between mercy and justice. Our God is merciful. Our God is just. He is perfectly loving. He is perfectly holy. We are lucky that we have Jesus to cover us in his righteousness and to pay off the debts of our sins. But step one in that process is repentance. It's knowing that, that you need to be saved in the first place. So yeah, Haman is sorry. Sorry he was caught. Sorry he unintentionally messed with the wrong queen. But sorry for his desires to wipe out an entire demographic, to execute a man on a 70-foot tall pole because the man didn't bow before him. This is the difference between begging for mercy out of terror and begging for mercy because of fear of the Lord. Then in Esther chapter 7, verses 8 through 9, it says, 
Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in this house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, a pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. What was King Xerxes' final straw? Haman was too close to his wife. Interesting historical context here. When it comes to royal protocol, no one but the king could be left alone with a woman of the harem. And even in the presence of others, a man was not to approach a woman of the king's harem within seven steps. So <laughs> I wonder what the exact protocol was for the king's wife, for his queen, certainly not falling upon the couch where Esther was reclining. Two verses from Proverbs fit well here, and I could not pick just one. Proverbs 27.4 says, Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? And Proverbs 6.34 says, For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. Any reasoning the king may have had for calming his temper while he was in the garden would have been immediately thrown out the window upon re-entering the banquet hall. Then Arbona over here adds to the fire and lets Xerxes know that Haman had set up the execution of the man who had saved the king's life. Esther chapter 7 verse 10 says, So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. All Haman wanted was to be the greatest figure in his world. But great lives are never achieved by making greatness the goal. Haman saw Mordecai as a roadblock to his greatness and sought revenge. Haman was poetically ended by the weapon he created for another. We are meant for so much more than personal greatness. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Mark 10, 43 through 44 says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. If you're out there right now and you don't know what your purpose is, I'm going to tell you loud and clear that it is not to be great. Your purpose in this life is not to be the best at anything, not at school or your job or online on social media or as a friend. That's not it. You can continue to try and find your identity in all of those things. But friend, if I am speaking to you, you will never be satisfied. Marrying that person is not going to make you content. Graduating with that degree will not make you content. Reaching that next career or financial goal will not make you content. Whatever you do, do it well, but do it for the glory of God. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus is great enough for all of us. In all you do, proclaim his goodness. If you have that hole in your chest and are looking for satisfaction, it's in this. Fulfillment is 
in connecting with Jesus. Fulfillment is in trusting the plans that he has for you. Satisfaction is in the eager anticipation that he places deep in our bones. Your purpose is to love God, love others, and to glorify our King with the praises of your mouth and the actions of your heart. To be great, just follow those steps. But now we need to glance at that last sentence in verse 10. The king's fury subsided. Xerxes viewed Haman's plot as a direct assault towards his dignity and his wife. That doesn't mean he had a vision for the effect on others and the terror that still hung over the Jews. So while the villain of the story had been defeated, the potential genocide he created still remained. This story is not over. So you'll need to listen in next time to find out the fate of Esther, Mordecai, and their people. But that's everything that I have for today. So don't forget to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give a follow on the Grace Talks podcast Instagram or Twitter account. Uh, Put a like on the Spotify podcast account. Um, And you can even share the links to your favorite episodes with someone that you know. You can watch these episodes on the YouTube channel. So feel free to subscribe and like these videos as well. Every time you share or engage with my content, you increase the reach that Grace Talks makes. And I hope you join in next time as we continue talking about Esther. As usual, if you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, or anything else, I would be happy to answer as best as I can. If you haven't heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth. And you have a purpose. I'm signing off. Bye.